last week was Easter, and uh, every Sunday is actually supposed to be an extension of Easter. Uh, every Sunday is to be a day that uh, the, the church, the church of God around the world, um, gathers uh, to talk through and to talk through the ramifications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, many of y'all were here last week when we, uh, when we spoke through that, and, and uh, today we were actually supposed to dive back into our study in Genesis, and it's, we're like three months out now um, that we've been in all last year in the book of Genesis, and I, I was praying about it, and I thought, you know, um, really I was going through my mind uh, and my heart, it's like, Easter, now what? And I just kept, that phrase kept rolling through my head, Easter, but now what? Now what? Now what? What happens next? And uh, I thought, you know, let, let's not jump into jump back into Genesis yet. Uh, let's let's think through what are the ramifications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ now, today, um, as far as living it out of the way that God wants us to live. What is it supposed to look like uh, in our life? And and the the book of Jonah just kind of arose in my, my soul just thinking through it and, and pondering it and, and, I, and I started thinking about the story and it seemed very relevant to us of Easter now what um, because the now what is that God through the cross of Jesus Christ and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ God the Son God was bringing the mission home but now, as a result of Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's mission is being furthered. He has a mission, God does, and He is designed for us to take the mission forward. He's the one that's doing it, but it is by His design and by His strategy, He's designed to use imperfect men, women, students, boys, girls, like us, to take His mission forward. I think it's kind of a crazy plan. I would, have been, I would have chosen people a lot more qualified and a lot more moral and better values, and yet that still begs the question, who then would have qualified? None of us. God gets a lot of glory by using us for his mission. But that is the now what of Easter. It's God's mission to be propelled and to go forward. So we are going to fly by Jonah, do a flyby. We're going to do a fly, flying through it. In fact, the part that I like the best about him being in a whale and being vomited up on a beach. We're not going to spend hardly any time there. If you've got questions about that, maybe let's talk about it afterwards or grab coffee or something like that. Um, I'm not going to take a lot of time introducing uh, where the book of, book of Jonah historically and how, how you can know that it's, wasn't, it's not allegory, just a story. It's not parable, but it's historical uh, there's reasons for that, but we're, we're going to just jump and dive right in. If you, don't, if you didn't bring a Bible, if you don't have one, we've got a few uh, at the uh, front table. Feel free to just kind of jump up and grab one, and if you don't own one, take it with you. We'd love to invest it with you. So we're going to fly by. You guys ready? Ready? Let's roll. All right, Jonah, chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. This does actually get us ready next week uh, to some degree for Sodom and Gomorrah as we hit those sections in Genesis. Um, but Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. 
he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Did you hear that? He's getting on a boat to get away from the presence of the Lord. Seems pretty stupid, doesn't it? Uh, pretty ludicrous that he would think that. And yet, and yet, I still do this. I still go through periods in my life where I just I get sick and tired of the way that God is managing and administrating, you know, or He asks me to do something I really don't want to go, and so I flee from Him. I run away from Him. I try to hide myself, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden after they sinned against Him. Newsflash, you can't get away from God. You can't get out of His sight. He's always there, and yet we still have this pattern of trying to run away. I think that's actually something that God wants to do in us is, is to help us to know, stop trying to run away from God. You know, because you continue to do it even though you know you cannot. So just stop trying to run away from Him. Jonah, um, uh, Nineveh was in, uh, excuse me, Jonah was in the land of the Israelites uh, among the Hebrews at this point. But God had told him to go to Nineveh, which was about 500 miles away by land. And so, of course, he goes west by boat. That's what he's up to here. He's refusing to be a part of God's mission. Rebelling against God. He's refusing to engage the people that God has given to him and told to engage. He's refusing to go and to tell them the bad news, and for sure refusing to go to tell them the best news. Let's go further. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. He's with, he's with pagan mariners. They're not Israelites. They're men who worship other gods. Each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it up for them. Okay, so this is something to where, I mean, they, these guys, I mean, they know the seas, they know the weather, they know how things are supposed to be, and something happened. I mean, there was such a great storm that came in that, that they think that there's something more than just the weather going on. And so it says, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the, the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So they're scrambling around. And they're like, hey, John, did you pray to your God? Yeah, I prayed to my God. Hey, Sam, did you pray to your God? Yeah, I prayed to my God. Is there anybody else around that we can have them petition their God because we're about to die? And so they go and they wake up this dude. It's kind of interesting, this, this totally opposite allusion to um, Jesus later on you know, being asleep in the middle of the storm with his disciples, he, Jonah has a peace. He thinks, he thinks, I'm a, I've escaped. I've done it. You know, we're, I'm away from the Lord. He told me to go east 500 miles. I'm just going west. I'm going west, young man. And he's out. He's gone. And he's like sleeping. And then all of a sudden, it, can you imagine? I mean, have you ever been awoken not just, not just you know, to daylight or not just to the loud alarm, but awoken to a panic because it's like the fire alarm's going off. We've got to get out of the dorm right now, you know, or, or, what, or whatever it is. I mean, you're, you're awakened. It's not, just, it's not just being awakened, but you're like scrambling and autom automatically you're running. 
And this is what's happening. He's, he thinks that he has peace. He thinks that he's run away from God. And they're waking him up to let him know, man, somebody's God is after us. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. God is the real God. It's such an amazing God that sometimes He'll even use pagans and people that don't even follow Him. He'll even whisper to them what He's up to, or at least gives them a glimpse to let them be a part of the story. God clearly, though, though Jonah had no concern for these pagans that were, try, that were helping Him escape, He didn't tell them about His God, but His God loved them enough that he brought them into the story. They started revealing himself to them, even though there was a very unfaithful evangelist within them. And I think what we're going to see is there's some people around you right now that you, you might be a very unfaithful evangelist sharing the great news of Jesus right now, but you're not. But God's he's working around you because he is going to save even if, you, even if you bow out of the mission. He's going to save people. The lot fell on Jonah, verse 8. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? So, dude, what is your job? I mean, are, 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 you, are you a teacher? Are you, you a scribe? You know, and, and, then, and then, where do you come from? What is your country? And, and of what people are you? And he said to him, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And when he said this, it says the men were exceedingly afraid. Why? Because he wasn't just talking about the God of the local seaport or of this little town or of this group of sheep. He said, I, I'm, I, I worship the God who made it all. Everything that you see. And so even among them and pagans, they're like, Maybe there is one, maybe there's one who's over all of the gods that we serve. And that's, that's what they're hearing from him. Is like, my God's the one that's over it all. And they're like, oh man, what is going on here? They're exceedingly afraid and they said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. He's running away. Run away from the God. Then they said to us, then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. So it's it's getting worse. It was already at the point that they thought the ship was going to break up. So it's even it's even worse. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. He's finally having some clarity of thought and heart. He's having an aha moment here. He's taking ownership of what's, what's happened. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So even in the middle of that, these pagan men, who Jonah didn't care for them. He didn't even tell them the bad news, much less the best news of his God. Didn't care for them, but yet they are caring for him. 
enough to say, man, no, we don't, we don't want to kill you. We don't want to throw you into the sea. Even, even, even if yours is the greatest of all gods, he did not care for pagans, but they cared about him and one another. Verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord. They called out to his God. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. God showed up. God revealed himself even outside of a rebellious God follower. And he revealed himself. Jonah clarified a few more things to the point in which they knew when it was all done. They're like, this is the God we must worship and serve. And these pagans became followers of Yahweh, of Jehovah. I love that in the middle of Jonah's rebellion, God moved and he saved these men. We're going to see at the end of Jonah's prayer in just a few minutes um, an attestation of that, of God's the one who saves. Verse 17, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Um, Again, man, wow, boy, we could have a whole message just devoted to this and, and how it points to Jesus. Um, we're not, uh, but, but uh, in this, though, in this one action, Jonah is both disciplined and rescued in the middle of this. And God, just also just take note that it's God that appointed this fish or shark or whale, whatever it was, to go and and to swallow him, and to be the transportation back to dry land that he needed. God appointed it. God is sovereign. He's over all things, including very big fish. Let's move to Jonah's prayer of gratitude. He does have an aha moment in the middle of this. He prays. Um, of course, uh, if you were in the middle of being swallowed or have just been swallowed, you may pray yourself. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, listen to this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look, into your, look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered you. And my prayer came to you and to your holy, holy temple. You know, in... In the, in the last moments, the last points of distress, it's like, oh yeah, God. Turn to God. And, and by the way, sometimes, sometimes we are Jonah at this point. Sometimes we're running away from God. Um, and as, as believers, we're running away. We're, we're the rebellious kids. And finally, when the things 
fully crash upon us, it's at that point that we finally say, okay, God, I, I give. I can't be my own God. I can't be in control of my own life. I, I believe, now Jonah was a, a believer, but I believe that unbelievers, they come to this point too. Come to a place in which there's a clarity to say, you know what, I cannot do it. I'm broken, my world is broken, I've tried to fix myself, I've tried to free myself, and no matter what I turn to, it doesn't last. There's no real peace, there's no real love, there's no real joy, and there's a tipping point and a, full, and a surrender that takes place to God. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let me repeat that last part. He says, what I vowed I will pay. Remember in the very beginning it says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah and revealed to him what he's supposed to do. And so there's a response to that. And, it's like, and the response is, yes, sir. When the word of the Lord comes upon you, when God reveals what he wants you to do, whether it's fully surrendering your heart and your life, or whether it's saying, no, 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 you need to change your major, or no, you need to change careers, or no, you need to stand up against your boss and the, and the lack of integrity that, and the bad ethics that are going on, and you just need to face whatever music that takes place. You need to do things. Our response is, yes, sir. We'll make our vows to Him, and we say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want, anytime you want it, however you want it, whenever you want it, God. Whenever, however. Because you're God and I'm not. He ends his prayer, at least the recording of this prayer, with one of the greatest theological statements in the entire Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He, see, he's, I mean, he, he's already looking back and he's saying, you know what, I didn't, I, I don't know if he's thinking these things, but certainly in retrospect at some point he's th- he'd be thinking back and say, you know what, God, I didn't love these men. They were... They were helping me in my rebellion. And they were about to be killed as a result of me. And I didn't care about them a bit. And you whispered some things to them to where they came and pried out of me the the bad news and the best news. Because I wasn't willing to engage in the mission. I I didn't like them. I didn't love them. I just loved myself. And kept it to myself. But God... Salvation belongs to you. Because even if, if it hadn't been for me, God, you, you would have done something. You would have worked your way to make sure these men heard. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out, into, out upon dry land. Then he heads to Nineveh, about 500 miles. So this is not something that happened the, the next day. Then the the word came to Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time arising, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Uh, Nineveh was, was about, I think it's about, it about 6,500 um, uh, acres, or 8,500 acres. Uh, probably... I mean, it, it, it'll record there's about 120,000 
uh, men living there, so that might have been just the men, or the, that might have been the entire population. We're not sure. It was a gated, a gated city that a river ran, river ran through it. It was really, it was amazing. They had their own museums, even a zoo, according to the people who uh, excavated it in the last 50, 100 years. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, they had an incredible library. A lot of wealth and riches were found in the ancient city of, of Nineveh. But God is saying, you are to go and clarify the bad news. That those who reject me and reject my ways will be condemned and will be judged. You're to go and tell them the bad news. So Jonah began to go into the, into the city, going on a day's journey, and he called out. This is what he said. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's eight words in English. We don't know if there was more to the message. I think there are, but clarifying that the message was, the bad news is, look guys, 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. And, and it's almost as if, as if the, the author of, jo- of the book of Jonah, which would have taken things from Jonah, as he would have dictated this story. Uh, we don't know who the author was, but it, it's as if the author is, is making it plain that Jonah's focus was on telling them the bad news. He, remember before, he's like, I don't, want, I don't want to engage the people. I don't want to go there. I don't want to tell them the bad news. I certainly don't want to tell them the good news. But at this point, something changes over. It's like, all right, okay, you brought me here. I'm going to get these guys the bad news. And I'm going to step back, and I'm going to watch it all fall. The people of Nineveh, verse 5, this is the response after his preaching. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. That means everyone. It means the whole city believed God. What, what did they believe? They believed that God was God and that God was going to destroy them. Okay? So it starts at the first point of saying, we believe just like these pagan sailors you got these pagan Ninevites who are saying, oh my goodness, this is the big one. This is the real God. This is the one who created everything. And, and it doesn't say that all their theology changed, but at the very least, they would be saying, this is the king of all the gods. And he said he's going to destroy, destroy us. We had better repent. We better turn from our wickedness. We better turn from all the other gods. And we better put all of our attention upon this this God. Again, there's no, there's nothing in here. There was no message of hope. There's no good news in here. It was just bad news. And, and I mean, I don't know where he was at. But according to the way he responds in just a minute, I mean, you can almost just see this, air, this arrogance upon the dude where he's just saying, man, guys, 40 days and it's toast. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Mm-hmm. Get ready. And just kind of stepping back to say, all right, God, I'm pretty ticked off. I mean, the dude, I mean, just imagine being three, three days in the belly, the belly of a whale and all of the acid in the stomach and stuff like that. So he's probably bald and bald now, no, no hair, no eyebrows. I don't have eyebrows, by the way, at least you can't tell. But it's, I mean, pale and wrinkly, pruny. I mean, what in the world would it do to your body? And, you know, and maybe if he was chewed up 
or something like that, and God puts him back together and scars. I mean, so you got this horrible-looking guy, and he's kind of like, you know, I'm pretty ticked off for what I, what I just went through. Let's see what God's going to pour on them. The, verse 6, though, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. You know, I love that picture. We talk a lot about how we, we sit on the, own, the throne of our own lives. And it's kind of like, you know, God, you serve me. You know, you're supposed to make my life good. It's about my story and my vision, my agenda, my mission. I'm on the throne. And I just love how this king, the king himself, man, he gets off the throne. And he, and he, man, he starts weeping and, and grieving sackcloth and ashes. And that's a, that's a point of mourning that people have in their lives to where they... They, they know, okay, man, something horrible has happened and, and, and it's a place of surrender. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. Do you know who was not preaching for them to repent and turn to God and to believe in God and throw themselves at His mercy? Jonah. It wasn't Jonah. It's a pagan king who he himself is just now surrendering himself to the Lord. And he's saying, look guys, I don't know if this is going to work, but this is the real God. And He's going to destroy us. And we're in the palm of His hands. And all He has to do is, is collapse His hand and, and to use an old King James word, to smite us. And it's over. So let's throw ourselves at His feet. He became an evangelist. Not even knowing if the news was going to work because He understood the bad news. Do you know one of the reasons why many Christians are not Evangelists, evangelizing. And evangelists, there are some people that have, an, they've got a, a special gifting and God, God places them around people that, man, they're ready. And they're there a lot of times and there's a lot of fruit of conversion. But they're not, it's, they're not the only ones that are supposed to proclaim Christ. Every Christian is to proclaim Jesus Christ. And sometimes we don't proclaim Him because we don't really believe the bad news so much. We don't really, don't really understand it or, or totally believe it. But this guy did. He knew. Verse 10, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do, and He did not do it. God showed mercy. He'd been planning it all along. This was God's story. God's the one that's writing this. God's the one that's planning for them and everyone else in the world, whoever reads this story, to see that He was merciful. It didn't take Him by surprise. He was the one that orchestrated it. And He sent a messenger, an evangelist, who, who denied and, and just still kept pushing away from God. And God says, well, I'm going to work anyway. It's no surprise. This is a sovereign God who says, I'm going to save. I'm going to save people. Whether you engage in my mission or not, I'll work around you if I have to, but I don't want to. Don't miss out on the blessings that God has of the overflow of sharing Christ with people. This last few verses, Jonah chapter 4. 
But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. The call of this guy. Can you believe this? The entire city gets saved. I mean, this is the most successful crusade that's ever hit a city. Even when Jesus preached, not everybody got saved. That's a whole other subject. We're going to talk about God's sovereignty and, 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 and uh, people getting saved. We can talk about that. But in God's sovereignty, He, he converted the entire city. You know, this is the kind of thing that's like, well, where is my resume? Where's my chisel and stone? I've got to put this on the top line. Everybody will want me to come in and to do their banquets now. But he's ticked off. He's mad because this was not his trajectory. He prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That, that, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Can you believe this guy? It's, it's not that he didn't think God was merciful or gracious. He was running away from the mission because he knew God was merciful and gracious. And he hated these people so bad. He hated the Ninevites so bad. He did not want to see them converted. You might, might think, man, I don't... I don't, hate, I don't hate somebody so bad that I'll run away from the mission. Oh, really? Are you sure about that? Christians. Now, now, if you're not a Christian, if you're an unbeliever in here, you know, this is, I'm, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to my own tribe. I'm talking to my own family. Bring it hard at the kitchen table right now. Christians. Does, does your life show that you really, really love those that are outside of the faith? Because we know God is merciful and gracious. What does our life show about our love, love for others? What does it really show? He said, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than live. He's like, God, I'm so ticked off at you right now for saving these people. I wish you'd just go ahead and strike me dead. I wish you'd go ahead and take my life. Because I'm so mad at you. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? He's like, You think this is really justified, Jonah? He's kind of like, uh, are you really going to go with this? Really? Sometimes uh, we can be so callous that we will only stand on the bad news. Sometimes we're apathetic enough to where we don't engage in this and we don't engage people. We don't engage the bad news or the, or the good news with them. But sometimes then we can just get mad. And it's like, you know what? All right, I'll tell people. All right. I'll tell them about their judgment that's coming. I'll, I'll, I'll tell them that God's going to condemn them. And there's no good news. It's just condemnation. Is, ask yourself this. Is there anyone that you know that you would be mad if God showed them mercy? 
What does this tell us about our hearts? Last few verses. Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant to come over for it to come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He was all of a sudden, man, moods changed. I got shade. When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Say, I mean... Asking him these questions. Do you do well being angry about this situation with the Ninevites? And, and, and oh, by the way, this thing that you're so concerned about, you weren't concerned about these people at all, but you're awfully concerned about this plant, aren't you? Woo! Good priorities, bud. He said, uh, yes, I do well to be angry, anger enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much, and also much cattle. The end of Jonah ends with this question. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people? You know, Jonah... Jonah, you despise these people. You didn't want to engage them at all because you knew I was merciful and gracious. And when you did, you just told them the condemning message. You just told them the bad news. What does that say about your heart? What does that say about those that don't know Christ? The guys are going to get ready this, this video from, uh, from an atheist about his vantage point of some Christians. And then we'll close things up. It's, uh, they're going to do it, stream it from YouTube, and so there may be technical difficulties, but you guys just check this out.
be to be fair, I uh, I sprung this on them this morning, and so they were uh, um, jumping fast to try to make that happen. So uh, thank you guys for trying to make that work. Um, this uh, I, I challenge you guys. Maybe we can post it on on uh, the website later on, or Facebook, or Twitter, something like that, um, for you guys to check out this video by by Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller, who is a renowned atheist. And I'll, I'll summarize it quickly. He tells the story of how a guy, after one of his shows, after Penn and Gillette, their, magi- their magic show. Anybody ever, you know who I'm, who I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know who I'm talking about here. You've seen him before. Um, he, uh, he talks about a guy coming and giving him a Bible. And he clarifies, look, I'm an atheist. I don't believe this stuff. I think it's a bunch of bunk. He uses some, some uh, other clever words. Uh, but he... Uh, um, he lets it known that he does not believe the message of this Bible or this guy. But then he starts talking about how much he appreciates this man. Because the man believes that Penn, if he dies as an atheist, will die and go to hell, separated from God forever and forever. And so Penn, again, he's like, I don't believe this mess. I don't believe this story. So I'm fine. I think I'm fine. But then he says, but I'm so appreciative that though this guy, this guy actually thinks that that is what may happen to me, that he likes me or loves me enough to tell me. And then here comes, here comes the, the quote. Here comes the thing for Twitter and for Facebook where Penn says, how much do you have to hate somebody to not share with them? That if you're a Christian... If you really believe in this God, and you really believe that what He says, that only those that fully surrender to Him will be with Him forever, and all those who reject Him will be away from Him, under His wrath, forever and ever in a place called hell, that if you really believe that, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them this? This is an atheist preaching. He reminds us. And I, and I, I, I think Jonah, man... How much did Jonah really hate these guys? He didn't want to tell them. And, and, and though I doubt that there's anybody in here listening to this, watching this, that you'd say, man, yeah, I hate this person. I hate this tribe of people. I hate the, I hate the poor. I hate the rich. You know, whatever it is. I, I doubt you would, you, you would say those things. And yet, if you're a Christian... If we really believe it, wouldn't we be sharing it? Um, I want to quickly give you guys a couple things. I mean, God, God, He loves His world. I mean, the Ninevites, they weren't, they weren't Hebrews. They were not monotheists, believing in one God. They believed in many gods, polytheists. And He sent them because God, God is interested in more than just the tribe of the Jews. He's more than just the tribe of Christians. He's more than interested in just the tribe of Americans. He loves the entire world. He doesn't just love the poor or just love the rich. He doesn't just love the black or the white or the red or the yellow. He loves all the races. He loves the entire world. And He wants us, He wants to take very seriously the call to take this message everywhere. Everywhere. Acts 1 8. 
It says, you will receive power from the Holy, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in all Judea, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We, we quote this one, and it's, it's frequent that this comes up. And, and Jerusalem, um, Jerusalem is your city. It's Huntsville. And, and, and then we have... Think about it from, you know, Judea is like your region. I, I mean, our, our, our area, the southeast, and, and our nation. But Samaria, Samaria is kind of like your region, but it's the people that aren't like you. It's the people that don't have your education, or don't make the money that you make or don't make. It's people that have different worldviews. It's the people that you have, it's more challenging to build a relationship with them. He's saying, yes, you go to them. And globally, all around the world. We, we cannot bow out like Jonah did. We must engage in God's mission. And, and we can do it with a confidence. And one of the greatest things about God is, is what Jonah said. He said, salvation belongs to the Lord. You want to know one of the most encouraging Scriptures that's relevant to evangelism? Let me tell you this. Because some of y'all are just like, oh, I don't know, I'm just... Uh, I, I don't know, it's just so much pressure. Listen, this will release that pressure. John 6.37 says this, Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. John 6.37, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. You know what that means? That means God will not lose a single one. That means that when we proclaim the Gospel, we don't have to be emotionally attached for failure or success of what their response is. It's not that you don't care. You do care. You want them to come to Christ. But you don't have to be emotionally attached to where, oh, it's on me. And if I'm just good enough, they'll come to Christ. If I'm just smart enough, if I have enough theological information, no! You just tell them about Jesus. And Jesus says, look, all the Father has given me, and they're going to come. They're going to hear my voice. And they'll come. He speaks... Later in, in that verse, uh, this, this, this last little passage John, from John 4. The woman said to him, and this is such an amazing story, this, this Samaritan woman. The woman said to him, I know the, that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When He comes, He'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. He reveals, I'm, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. And then, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar. And listen, this is what she did. This is kind of the, after Easter. This is the after you meet the Messiah, after you meet Jesus. This is the overflow of what, of what happens. So the woman left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, Come! And see a man that's told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to Him. Guys, you, you don't have to do it. And you cannot do it in your own strength. Evangelism, telling people about Christ. If you try, you're going to fail. And if, and, if, and if you try, you're gonna follow, you may follow some formula that every person has to fit into and it's going to fail. And if you try to do it in your own strength, you're going to pressure people and manipulate people and you're going to infuriate people. If it's on you and you've got to do it in your own strength, 
But if rather, it's like I've seen Jesus. Jesus is, His story has captured my story. Jesus has engaged my life and He's clamped a hold of me. And, and though I slip, I, I, I try to let go of Him, He never lets go of me. It's, it's kind of like a, a hidden waterfall. Some of y'all love hiking. And, you know, it's, it's as if what, you know, you're hiking for a few miles and you go around this bend and there's this waterfall that's not on any map you've never heard about. You don't know why in the world people haven't discovered it, but it's the most beautiful waterfall that you've ever seen. You know what you do? You go back and you tell all your friends, like, I've seen the most beautiful waterfall. Hike with me. Come with me to the waterfall. See, what, what we're not doing, the pressure, we put pressure on us basically to say, come to me. Come to me. You know, it's almost as if I'm the one that's the Savior. We put that pressure on. We know we're not, but it's like, come to me, and if I'm good enough, you'll come to Christ. That's not it. That's not what the woman did. The woman just said, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And, and that's what that's what I implore to you guys is, is that you go to people and, and first of all, you, you don't walk away from the mission of God. And you don't disengage. That you love people enough to engage them. But you don't just take the bad news. What is the bad news? The bad news is we're broken and cannot save ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves. The world is broken. I'm broken. We're all broken. We can't rescue ourselves. But we take the good news too, though, that we say... But Jesus is the answer. Jesus can save you. Jesus can rescue you. He rescued me, and I just want to bring you to Jesus. Through personal evangelism, to where, when I've been hearing a lot of you guys, man, you're having spiritual conversations that move into gospel conversations. And one of the best, best questions that you can ask somebody just to kind of open it up, and there's no pressure, just say, Do you consider yourself a spiritual person? Do you consider yourself to be spiritual? And let them answer. Let, and then just say, tell me more about that. Don't just don't say, are you a Christian? Or, or, or I mean, you know, you know just, I mean, just say, leave it very broad because they will define what their spirituality is and they may define it com- without Jesus completely. And then take it from a spiritual conversation to a gospel conversation to where you just say, you know, man, in Jesus, he said, he said that He's the way and He, he saved me. And, man, I, I'd love to talk more about that with you. And, and, but it's not just about you personally evangelizing, but God really calls us to evangelize within a community of people. Our journey groups, man. Some of you guys, you're having parties where you invite Christians over, but you invite non-Christians over. And it's not manipulative, it's not leverage, but just people getting to know one another. And as they get to know one another, they're sharing what's important to them. And people start sharing about Jesus. And people start scratching their heads and say, wow, Jesus is really that important to you? I mean, and some of them in our city, they're like, I go to church. Well, wow, man, you're really serious about this stuff. It's more than just going to a, a service. And so through your groups, through your journey groups, inviting people to your home, and inviting people, bring people here. Bring people to the brewery, you guys. I don't want it to be about the brewery. It doesn't need to be about the beer. But guess what if they come here? Just like so much in the Bible where there is someone who preaches Jesus. And bring them here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, come to Jesus. I'm going to say, 
bring your life and bring your friends and surrender to Jesus. We're going we're gonna to say that together. And then go and have conversations with them. Guys, do you want to be a part of something that is way bigger than you? You want to be a part of something that will outlive you? There's some great causes out there that we, that we engage into with our money and with our time. But there's nothing like the mission of God. Um, I'm going to pray in just a second. And when we get done entirely here, I'll have the guys play that, play that video because I, I think they've got it to where the audio is going to work. So if any of you all want to hang out and, and, uh, and see it, you'll be able, to, be able to see it. It's pretty powerful. But, but I want us to pray. And uh, I want you to consider where you're at. That you may be like the woman who had never met Jesus. And today's the day that you're hearing people, you're hearing me and others say, come to Jesus. And you're like, all right, I'm coming. I surrender everything today, right now. Or you may be a Christian in here that just say, you may say, all right, God, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty good with this, but I, I want to be engaged even more strategically in the mission. Or you may be a Christian like I am at sometimes, that you say, you know what, God, I don't think, I, I haven't thought of myself as hating people, but my lifestyle says that I really do hate unbelievers because I don't take them Jesus.